When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Beyond the To-Do List. This time I am talking with Lauren Vanderkam, who is a nationally recognized writer who questions the status quo in pursuit of more meaningful lives. Laura is the author of All the Money in the World, What the Happiest People Know About Getting and Spending, 168 Hours, You Have More Time Than You Think, and Grind Hopping, Building a Rewarding Career Without Paying Your Dues. She's also written a series of What Successful People Do ebooks, which is coming out in paperback compilation form soon. Welcome to the show, Laura. Thank you for having me. That is a lot of stuff to have written. That is a lot of stuff. <laughs> I and a, keep busy. Yeah, I was going to say, not only that, I guess I should also add, you've written a number of pretty awesome and highly shareable articles for the site and magazine Fast Company. I've just started working for them, and I've been amazed at the social media engagement of their readers. It's wonderful. It's pretty good. I, I've been reading them for a while, and uh, honestly, I probably read some of your stuff without realizing it was you at first. So I especially liked, and we'll get to that, the uh, monotasking is the new multitasking. So stay tuned for that. It's a teaser. So do you have two things coming out in paperback right now? Is that right? Well, one thing. It's a book that's a compilation of three short ebooks I wrote over the past year. I did a series on what the most successful people do that started with before breakfast, then we looked at weekends, and then we looked at during the workday. And so this paperback is called What the Most Successful People Do Before Breakfast and includes all of those those ebooks and some bonus material as well. Okay. And so those ebooks, I have the ebooks, by the way. They are still available as ebook form. But what's great is then if people did, weren't, you know, ebook readers or whatever, they can go and now finally grab on, what is it? It's August 27th, the uh, paperback copy of What Successful People Do Before Breakfast. Yes, you can. And uh, the, the good news is some of the major retailers are currently. Pricing it cheaper than all three ebooks purchased separately. Nice. <laughs> so, so you might want to get on that if you are interested in, in reading all of them. I can't guarantee that they'll keep that price, but uh, they are now. So great. Well, I'd love to talk about the content of those ebooks, and let's set the stage with the question that I ask every interviewee, which is: In an ideal world, how do you start your day? Well, hopefully, I wake up before my kids. That uh, is <laughs> never a given with three of them. They're, they're six, three, and one. So that's an, a new development for me that that's even possible to wake up um, without somebody howling to get out of a crib. But hopefully that will happen, that I'll wake up um, before my alarm, before the kids, and lie there in my bed feeling well-rested and be thinking about the day, thinking about what's going to happen and have things to look forward to. 
Awesome. And then how do you move into what is maybe scheduled for your day, whether that's the weekdays or the weekend? My work days uh, are pretty set uh, starting around 8 a.m. That's when we have childcare starting. So that's a pretty good dividing line for my day. I tend to have breakfast with my children before that and have a little family time. Eight o'clock, I get started on working, and I usually try to schedule my big, intense tasks for that first two hours of the day, so 8 a.m. to 10 a.m. I find that's when I'm best able to focus, Uh, so I really work on preserving those as open hours for whatever I've identified as my biggest task for the day. I got to ask, you started the series, uh, the the What Successful People Do. Why did you start with before breakfast? Was there a, re- a reason for that? I started with that mostly because I knew that was a subject people were interested in. I had blogged about the topic earlier and gotten quite a good response. It seems that making over our whole lives sounds quite complicated, but making over what we do before breakfast seems infinitely doable. And people also like breakfast, so that may have had some positive connotations in people's minds as they read it. But I also thought it was a time of the day that's really doable. And I'd also seen from looking at a ton of people's schedules over the years that people who had personal habits that really happened all the time, again and again, and to the point where they were making progress on these personal projects, they tended to do it first. Uh, Life just has a way of getting away from you later in the day. Uh, You may have to work late. Things can happen with family. You're often tired at the end of the day. And it's very much like the sound financial advice to pay yourself first before you pay your bills. If you wait until the end of the month to save what you have left, people often find that there isn't anything left, shockingly enough. But if you pay yourself first, uh, then it happens. So it's the same thing with our time. If you have important personal priorities, doing them first guarantees that they happen. Great. Yeah, definitely. I have found that to be true myself. For people who are trying to make the most of their mornings before breakfast, how would you suggest they start to approach designing that or doing that? The first step for people who want to make over their time in general is to keep track of how they're spending their time. So I have a spreadsheet that I share with people that has all 168 hours of the week on it. And you can write down what you're doing as often as you remember and as much detail as you want. And the reason to do this is that mornings don't occur in isolation. What we do in our mornings uh, has an effect on the rest of the day, and the rest of the day has an effect on what we do in the mornings. And one of the reasons many people feel that they can't use their mornings is that they are going to bed too late. But if you look at how you're spending your evenings, you'll find that really nothing important happened after 9 or 10 p.m., So consequently, that's time that over the course of a few weeks or months could be shifted to regain it in the morning. So going to bed a little bit earlier. And so you can get up a little earlier and make time for those personal priorities that tend to slip. So, you know, if you do have a habit of watching a lot of television at night, it's important to notice that so that then you can decide, well, is that really how I want to be spending that time? Or maybe could I reclaim it later uh, in the morning uh, on another day? So I tell everyone to keep track of their time and, and see how they're spending it. And, and then from there, you can start to picture, well, what would your perfect morning look like? And looking at the way life is now and looking at what your schedule for the perfect morning would look like, seeing if you could mesh those two visions, if that's possible and what logistics need to be worked out to make that happen. 
And I know that sometimes we struggle with that, how to, to mesh. Is there any kind of keys to that? The first thing I tell people is don't assume that you have to add whatever you want to do on top of what you are already doing in your morning. Another reason to keep track of your time is that you start to see that sometimes our morning routines are less efficient than they could be. I know especially those of us who have lots of kids, for instance, we're often very focused on getting them out the door. And we don't notice just how much time is passing in the march out the door. Uh, It tends to expand to fill the available space. So if you give yourself less time, you'll probably still make it to work. I mean, you can't cut it down (laughs) too much, but if you give yourself less time, you may not be late to places. So, So don't assume that you have to add it on top. Think about what absolutely has to happen and what does not. There are a lot of things we do in the morning that don't have to happen. Uh, Maybe it's a little bit too elaborate, a personal care routine. I recently read a statistic that uh, one in 10 women spends more than an hour getting ready in the morning. If that's you, you might want to think about that a little bit. If there's better ways you could be spending your time. You know, even something like giving your kids lunch money instead of making lunches a few times a week, trading that off might buy you back a bit of time or teaching the kids to do them do it themselves. So look at everything that is happening and ask if it has to happen, if it has to take as long as it does, and then where you can start putting in these other things that you want to do. What about maybe after you've put some things in place, how do you maybe keep them in place or, or make changes as necessary? Yeah, so life will have a way of conspiring to make it difficult to put these changes into place. First of all, you really have to want to do it. There is no way around this. We're not going to get out of bed early for something we don't want to do. We won't long term. You might for the first week or two, but then you won't. So it really has to be something that you enjoy. If there's types of exercise you don't enjoy, don't choose those types of exercise. Choose something else that you would enjoy. You know, you're telling yourself, I really need to work on this project for work first thing in the morning, but you don't want to do it. Again, you're not going to get up and do it. So it needs to be something that would be enjoyable, that would pull you out of bed, that would make the snooze button seem less tempting. That's the first thing. But second, you can also set up an accountability system to help you achieve your goals. It might be another person that is also trying to get up at a certain time to do something. You know, if you have a workout partner, that's obviously a great way to ensure that you'll get exercise done in the morning. But you can also just text someone, say, I am up and working on my novel. And they text you back saying what they're up and working on that they plan to do. Um, It could be somebody you live with who's also trying to use those morning hours. You could create an accountability system that way too. And also I tell people, feel free to use bribery. I mean, you know, there's some great breakfast items. You love donuts. It might be worth (laughs) eating a lot of donuts to build up whatever habit it is that you want to build. And you can get rid of the donuts later. But uh, if that's what it takes to create your great habit, it might be worth it. That's great. I hadn't even thought about that. Mine would be bacon, obviously. Bacon. If it's bacon that you need to get you out of bed, then cook the bacon. Bacon is a reason to get out of bed every day. Bacon and coffee. Having some really great coffee. Don't skimp on the coffee. That's the other thing. Great. Still searching for a great candidate for your company? Don't search. 
Just match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch that busy work. Instead, use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. I wish I had Indeed when I was in the hiring process in roles in the past because it is a slow, arduous headache of a process to find the right people. Or, at least it used to be, join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to find and hire great talent fast. In fact, in the minute I've been talking to you, 23 hires were made on Indeed, according to Indeed data worldwide. And listeners of the show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash to-do list. Just go to Indeed.com slash to-do list right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash to-do list. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Great advice there. So we've had our breakfast of bacon and coffee and moving on to your other ebook, what most successful people do at work. So we're getting to work. What are some of those things, the key things that people forget about in terms of keeping in mind how to really get good work done and the most work and, and be efficient and doing the great work they should be doing at their work, whether that's they've taken off and gone to the office or they've made the steps of a commute to their home office? Well, wherever you're working and whatever you're doing in your work, you need to think through what your goals for the day and the week are. What would make this a great work day? So at the end of the day, what would you like to have changed in the world or at least in your office that will have made it worthwhile to show up? And I find this a question many of us don't necessarily ask as we think about planning our day. We sort of do what we have to do, but we don't necessarily think about, well, why am I doing these have-to-dos? And beyond these have-to-dos, what excited to do's or would like to do's would advance my career and my organization. So thinking through how you want to spend the day is key for having a great day. But there's other habits as well that I find um, people who use their work hours well tend to do. One is being very aware of the opportunity cost of their time. Because time is a valuable and limited resource. You can make more money, but you cannot make more time. So if you are sitting in a two-hour meeting that really only needed to take 90 minutes, that's a lot of people whose 30 minutes at a possibly very steep cost have been wasted. So they're constantly looking at the opportunity cost of their time. I find a couple other things. They also tend to make time for getting better at their work. This is something we don't think about that much, but how can I practice at the skills associated with my job in order to improve at them? So if you're writing a lot for your job, that's something that you can practice and get better at. If you need to speak a lot for your job, that's something you can practice and get better at. Or if maybe you're coaching employees, that's also something you can practice and improve at. So look at the skills associated with your job and think what you can do better. And finally, just one other thing I would say is that We all have a certain amount of career capital, which is the sum of our experiences, our network, our skills, and you want to constantly be paying into this career capital account, making deposits so that at some point if you need to make withdrawals, the capital is there. So think through the day, well, what could I do to maybe expand my network, to learn a new skill? to make evident what I am capable of, that's maybe build a portfolio or get testimonials or something like that. 
you always want to be paying in. So at the end of the day, you need to look back and say, what did I do today to extend my reach, broaden my scope? What's there? Write it down, figure out what it is. That's an important one to keep in mind. Speaking of other people, how do you work with other people more efficiently or more effectively in your workspace? Well, it's important to remember that people are in good use of time. (laughs) Those of us who have worked by ourselves for years and years can sometimes develop bad habits about this, that viewing other people as a source of inefficiency as opposed to a source of wonderful new ideas and connections and opportunities. So I think it is important to remember that, that whoever you are working with most likely has some bit of information or some connection that can help you achieve your goals and that you can probably help them achieve their goals. So keeping that fundamentally in mind, but also asking, you know, well, what is the point of this interaction? What are we trying to accomplish? Keeping everyone focused on what the end goal should be. So we're not having a meeting just to have a meeting. We're having a meeting because we want to change something in the world, I mean, including our office, by having this meeting. So what is that? If we're having a conversation here, we're hopefully, even if it's just getting to know each other better, there's a reason we're doing it. We need to be mindful about how we're spending our time at work. So while we're trying to be mindful of our time, sometimes we think, oh, well, you know what? I can listen to a radio show while I'm answering my emails, while I'm writing a report and and live the lie that we believe that multitasking works. And you wrote a, you wrote a great article called Monotasking is the New Multitasking. What do you think is the reason that we believe that lie that we can multitask? Probably because it's so easy in our lives right now to to do so. Um, There's just so much gadgetry and opportunities to do whatever is online as opposed to what is right in front of us. And because of that, we fool ourselves into thinking we can pay attention to two things at once. We can't. We, We really, every time we think we're multitasking, we're just inefficient monotasking. We're moving back and forth from one thing to another. There are certain things that you can do um, at the same time. I would say that you could probably listen to a Vivaldi symphony while answering your email. I don't really see any reason you couldn't do that. It's it's not something where you're listening to music with words. So it's a different part of your brain, mm-hmm. especially if it's just pleasant black background music. But you can't answer email and take a phone call at the same time. You can't answer email and pay attention in the meeting at the same time. And if you are, you need to sort of look at, well, why is that? What's happening that I'm feeling I need to do this? Is it because this meeting is extremely boring and I'm trying to recoup my investment of time? Well, then a better solution is to end that meeting or to get yourself out of that meeting or to make sure that you don't have a meeting like that again in the future. It's not to say, oh, well, hey, at least I get to check my iPhone, so it's not a complete waste of time. Part of embracing the mindset of monotasking is being very careful about our time. It's about understanding that you want to do things that matter. And if you find yourself wanting to do other things while you're doing something, it may be that what you're doing isn't mattering or isn't important to you. And if that's the case, you know, you should ask, well, why am I doing it? And if it is in fact important to you, well, then it's probably more important to you in that moment than whatever is coming into your inbox, which for all we know could just be a J. Crew ad. So 
if we're trying to monotask, if we if we suddenly realize, okay, I have been multitasking, I'm sorry, I forgive myself, I move on to decide to multitask, what are some ways that we can maintain that true uh, monotasking uh, focus? Yeah, I think we switched that up there. If you decide to move away from multitasking and start monotasking, partly it's about controlling temptation. We are not very good about temptation, human beings in general. We're just not set up to deal with it well. Uh, So it's better to create an environment where it's not going to be an issue. So don't take your phone into a meeting. If you don't want to find yourself multitasking, then leave it somewhere else. You know, we even do this in social situations where we're sitting there. I was at a restaurant the other night and this young couple this woman was on her phone pretty much the whole time. I was like, well, I don't know what's up with that. <laughs> but uh, she's decided or sending the message that uh, whatever is on her phone is more important than this gentleman she's with, which if that's true, I don't really know why she's having dinner with him. So uh, it's something to think about. You can leave the phone at home. You can also, uh, what I said before, choosing to put yourself in situations that you do find engaging because when we're doing work that we find important and meaningful our inboxes are just naturally less attractive they can't compete as well with something that we're finding really exciting so think about what work feels really important and meaningful to you and then multitasking will be less tempting what if you've got one single task that you've decided, okay, this is the thing I need to do today? How do you swat away all the distractions? I would say do it first. You won't be able to keep all distractions away from you all day. But usually in the morning, our ability to focus is at its peak. It's a matter of that concept of willpower again that some research is finding it's kind of like a muscle and so it becomes fatigued from overuse. And during the course of the day, as you make decisions, as you attempt to deal with difficult people or battle traffic, it's kind of just used up. So in the morning, though, you're best able to focus. So whatever it is that you need to do that you want to focus on, try to do it first. And then if you do get distracted during the rest of the day, it's okay because you've already knocked off this important thing. Great. Well, we've had a great breakfast and we've gotten some work done at work, but what do successful people do during lunch? Lunch is a difficult time for many people. We tend not to use it well. There is a culture in many places of eating lunch at your desk, which the only reason I'd say that's a good idea is that you're having lunch at your desk so you could get up and go exercise during what would be your lunch break. That's an acceptable reason. But if you're not going to be leaving your desk, you're going to be in for a rough afternoon. You're eating at your desk. You haven't left your desk. Come 3 p.m., you're going to wind up over at the vending machine eating something bad, having lots of caffeine, uh, being unable to focus for that last two hours of the day. So better to take 30 minutes off so you get those two hours back at the end of the day rather than refuse to take those 30 minutes and then lose those two hours. As one gentleman said to me, you, can't, you don't have time not to take your lunch break. So there's lots of things you can do. I mean, it's a great time for socializing. If you have people at work you enjoy seeing or people you'd like to meet at work, that's a great idea. It can be a time for meeting people who aren't at your work. If you work near a friend or relative that you'd like to see, that can be a great opportunity to get a little quality time in during the day. 
But even just getting up from your desk, going out to the parking lot, walking around the parking lot five or six times briskly can get your blood moving and make the rest of the day feel so much better. You'll probably get great ideas the instant you step away from your desk. So it's so worth it. What about the weekend? What do successful people do on the weekend? The key thing that I found successful people realize about weekends is that if you have a very intense job, the weekend is what stands between you and completely burning out. You need those day or days. It may not be two days, hopefully it is, but at least some time off so that you can recharge your batteries so you hit Monday ready to go. So I found that successful people made a point of doing something that would feed into their supply of energy so they had that energy and were able to call upon that during the the work week. So for many people, it's exercising that that makes them feel more energized. It can be fun family activities. It can be uh, watching favorite sports teams even, but just doing it with a mindfulness, not that, oh, I'm seeing what game is on. It's like, oh, well, this is a team I really want to see, and I'm getting together with friends, and we're having a little party, and this is exciting. Uh, so that's how they would approach their weekends, is, is mindfully, thinking about what would add to their supply of energy, and then doing that. Great. Excellent points. So we've taken a, a day, basically, and also the weekend, but what about the entire week? A week has 168 hours, and so how do we get the most out of those 168 hours? First, realize that they exist. There are so many people who don't know that a week has 168 hours, which has been great for me for search engine purposes, but it's kind of funny if you think about it. We say 24-7 all the time, and no one multiplies it through. There are a lot of hours in 168 hours. So if you work 50 hours a week, which is a lot of hours, that's more than a full-time job. And if you sleep eight hours a night, which many people claim not to do, that still leaves 62 hours for other things. That is a lot of time. If you are working 50 hours a week, you have more waking, non-working hours than you have working hours. Yet many people who work 50-hour-a-week jobs think, Oh, I don't have time for a personal life. Look, I'm working 50 hours a week. So recognizing that it exists, that there is space for a full life within that 168 hours is very important. And then once you know that time exists, then you can ask, well, how do I intend to optimize it? If I know I have these 60 hours for my family, for my personal pursuits, for my community, what do I want to do with that time to make the most of it? Excellent. Laura, as our time draws to a close in our half of 168 hours, it has been a great privilege and a pleasure to speak with you today. You've been extremely helpful. And I know I personally am going to have to listen back through this a couple times because there's so much there. And I know my listeners will really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Whew, that was another packed episode of Beyond the To-Do List. Thanks again to Lauren Vanderkam for coming on the show. There was a lot there. Like I said, you're going to have to listen to this one a couple of times and and pause and rewind and, and all that, but it's there. And definitely, if you want to expound on what the things were that she was talking about, you can go to the show notes for this episode, which can be found at beyondthetodolist.com slash 43 
and you can check out all the links to all her books, and we'll even have some tweetable quotes there for you, so you can share the wisdom from this episode with others. Thanks again for listening. If you have feedback for this show or any other show, go to beyondthetodolist.com slash iTunes, and you can leave us a rating or a review. We'd love to hear from you, and we will see you next time. Beyond the To-Do List is a proud member of Noodle Mix Network at noodle.mx. Find more great podcasts like How to Podcast, Clean Comedy, Once Upon a Time, Christian Worldview, and more at noodle.mx. Think, laugh, and succeed by subscribing to our podcasts at noodle.mx.